Christmas, I did a series on the general subject of how can I be good? You know, everybody wants to be good, right? We talked about how good is good enough. Uh, Mama says, behave yourself, be good, right? We say, she's a good person. And Mama even says, I know he's in prison for grand theft auto, but he's a good boy. He's got a good heart. So how good is good enough? If if it's good enough for mama, is it good enough? How good is good enough? And so as we began to uh, delve into that a a few weeks ago, we started with the words of Jesus when this uh, uh, young man with all the advantages, you know, wealth, education, everything you you could want, came to Jesus and was asking him, what good things must I do to be good enough to have eternal life? And Jesus said, why are you talking to me about good? And he gave him this statement. No one is good except God alone. So in the absolute sense, no one is good. No one is good enough except God alone. And in the ensuing conversation, Jesus made this statement, not exactly like this, but this was our conclusion from it, which is this. No one can do enough to be good enough on his own. Nobody. There is no person on the earth that can do enough good things to be good enough in the absolute sense. But God will make it possible because these guys, you know, his followers were looking at at, at this rich guy and they said, man, if this guy can't make it, the rest of us don't have a chance. And what Jesus was saying is nobody has a chance on their own, but God can do it. And, and the whole key is believing in Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And so we, we kind of left off part of that series with this verse, John 5, 24, where Jesus said, very truly I tell you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Eternal life, that's me and Jesus together forever. It starts when I believe, when I place my faith and trust in him as savior and it never ends. And when I leave this planet, I don't leave here alone. Jesus and I go together. (laughs) And where I get where I'm going, I'm not alone. Jesus and I are there together. Very truly, I tell you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has right now eternal life. And as we've talked about before, it's not wait till you die and open one eye. And if you see an angel, you're okay. But if you see a flame, just close your eyes again, you know, because it's, it's, it's all, no, it's not that kind of a thing. It's you have eternal life and will not be judged. will never be adjudicated guilty of your sin, but you've crossed over from death to life. And so we began to answer this question, how can I choose then, right? I can't be good enough on my own. That's impossible. So God sent Jesus to do that for me, and that's what Christmas is all about. But now, okay, I, I'm, uh, I, I'm good in, in Jesus, and God looks at me, and I'm one of his children, but I still have this battle every day. I'm trying to do the right thing. Every day, this battle that goes on. So how can I choose to do the right thing every day of my life? And, and for you theologians, you know, we often call this practical sanctification or practical holiness, but it's really just being more like Jesus. It's every day I want to be more like Jesus. And so we've been looking at some thoughts that the apostle Paul wrote to us. And, 
in Romans chapter 6, 7, and today we'll look at chapter 8. And remember, the Apostle Paul was a guy who was he's a Jewish man. He grew up with all the Jewish opportunities. He was a leader. He was wealthy, evidently, a leader in the Jewish faith. He hated Christians. He hated Christ. He did everything he could to persecute Christians and to bring them to trial and to watch them be executed if he could. And then he became one. Then he became a big trusted in Jesus as his Savior. And, and he wrote uh, a good portion of what we call the New Testament today, letters. Uh, we, we believe inspired by God, letters that he wrote uh, that we read from today and learn things from. And so he wrote to us that we have victory in Jesus, but there's still a battle that goes on within us. And in Romans chapter 7, you know, we get to that. I'll read a little, a little of it, but we get that whole conversation, and I love it, where, where Paul says, you know, I, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. Uh, and, and you're thinking, man, if that's true of Paul, it's surely true of me. And so the question naturally arises, uh, since Paul had this conflict going on, must a believer spend his whole life frustrated because he gets, gets, keeps getting defeated uh, by the indwelling sin that's within him? Is it just kind of that's the way you have to live? And the answer to that question is no, you don't have to. And, and, and is there a power that enables us to overcome that in our lives? And the answer is yes, there is. And so we're going to read about those things today. But let's go back to how Paul finished up Romans chapter 7, verse 24. He said, what a wretched man I am. You ever feel that way? I certainly have. I, I felt, what a, what a failure. What a wretched person I am. I, I try and I can't get this thing right. He said, what? And remember, this is like the number one Christian, right? And he's making this statement. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? from this body that is subject to death. He realized that even though the Holy Spirit lived within him, in his body there was, there was a, you know, he kept wanting to do the wrong thing. Who's gonna rescue me from this body that's dying and, and it's not getting any better? Verse 25, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ. Yeah, there is a power that rescues me from the body of, that's, that's dying. That power is Jesus Christ and because uh, he died on the cross, because he came at Christmas, right? And because he lived a perfect life and because he died on the cross for me, I have the gift of eternal life. And so God has rescued me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. In my mind, linguists, word study guys, uh, who look at that word, say it speaks of reflexive intelligence. I looked that up, but I don't want to even tell you what the, the definition is. But here, here's what it's about. It's about the inward person. Rather than just what's up here, it's about the inward person, the, the higher self that agrees with God. Once I trust Jesus as my Savior and have God's Spirit living within me, there is a part of my inward being that is like God. There is a part of my inward being that wants to do the right thing all the time. My own spirit and God's spirit dwelling within me. So Paul says, so then I myself in my mind, in my inward person, in this part of me that belongs, that's already changed by God, 
I'm a slave to God's law. I want to do the right thing. I just, you know, sometimes it, 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 you want to get to the point where you do the right thing just because it's what you want to do. But in my sinful nature, I'm still a slave to the law of sin. My sinful nature still lives in this body that will die. Uh, and so there's this conflict that goes on. So today we're going to move on to the first few verses of Romans chapter 8 where Paul describes the ministry of the indwelling spirit of God who's the source of the power within me so that I don't have to do the wrong thing. I can choose to do the right thing. I can't do it because I just grit my teeth and I'm determined to. I'm not good enough for that. But I have another power who dwells within me. The power of God's Holy Spirit. And so the Apostle Paul begins Romans chapter 8 reminding these Christians that as a result of their faith in Christ they are what we call in Christ and they will not pay the penalty of their sins now just caveat here if we read through this and you understand it all and you say well that's really great then great uh, if you don't understand a whole lot of this stuff as we're reading through don't feel like the Lone Ranger uh, I reminded people the last time we were reading this that Peter, pretty well-known guy himself, right? <laughs> and two of his letters are included in the New Testament, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. At one point in time, he said about Paul, some of the stuff Paul writes is really hard to understand. And it is true. Some of the stuff that Paul writes is really hard to understand. So hang with us here. We're going to look through this, but then we're going to get some practical stuff in a minute. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore... There is now no condemnation. No, you are guilty of your sin and you will spend eternity in hell. None of that. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who have trusted Christ as their Savior. Why? Verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You are free and you will not be condemned of your sin. You can't be good enough on your own, but God made you good enough in Jesus. Verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did. And that God did what we couldn't do for ourselves. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. No, the law of Moses isn't bad. It's just powerless. It, well, it's not powerless. It's we who are powerless. You know, a lot of people think that I'm going to get good enough for God because I'm going to keep all the rules. Man, no, you're not. I don't. You don't. There's no excuse for it, but we don't. And that's what's powerless about the law is that you can't keep all the rules. You just think you can. But you can't do it. It's a little like golf. You know, getting back into golf just a little bit. Every once in a while, you hit a good shot. And it's they're few and far between, believe me when I say that. Every once in a while you hit a good shot. And you say, hey, I got this, buddy. You know, there's not, not so much to this game. I got it. And then you just mess up terribly. Everything goes wrong. And that's the way it is. You know, every once in a while we think about life. Well, I got this. I can kind of do this on my own, you know. And then we realize, no, I can't. So what the law was powerless to do, God did for us. He did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He wasn't sinful flesh, but he was human to be a sin offering. So Jesus came and took care of it for us. Then the last phrase of verse 3 and on into verse 4 says this, And so he, Jesus, condemned sin in the flesh. 
He defeated it in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met. You know, what's, what's the righteous requirement of the law is to keep all the rules. <laughs> righteous, holy living, that's what the righteous requirement of the law is. And how, how, can I, how can that be fully met in us? Only through Jesus, only because of what Jesus did for me. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The flesh can't dominate me unless I allow it to dominate me. We were delivered by, from the power of sin by Jesus' ex, a resurrection, but experiencing victory every day comes only when we allow the power of God's Spirit who's within us by living according to the Spirit. And so now comes verse 5, which is we're going to concentrate on mostly today. Verse 5, uh, as Paul begins to talk about what it means to live according to the flesh and according to the Spirit. Verse 5, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Now, if you take all this in context, it seems clear that Paul's really talking about believers and unbelievers here. But at the same time, he's teaching the believers to whom he writes that when it comes to living for Jesus every day, comes up, when it comes to getting up in the morning and doing the right thing, and, and becoming more and more like Jesus, uh, the things we think about, the things we focus on, what we prioritize in our minds, influence whether or not we're going to make good decisions that day or not, whether we're led by the Spirit of God that day or not. Verse 6, the mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the unbeliever is equivalent to death. It leads to death in all of its forms, physical death and spiritual death. That's what the mindset of unbelievers is. But the mindset of the spirit or the mind controlled by the spirit leads to life and peace. We don't, that's what we want, right? Life and peace. By the way, starting next week, we're probably going to talk a lot about peace for a while. But the life that he's talking about is is true life, eternal life, and not just eternal life, which is Jesus and me right now, but also the abundant life I can have on this planet. God offers us life that goes far beyond just getting by. And the peace that he talks about is peace with God. God and I are friends. I'm not his enemy anymore. And the peace of God, which means that, it's not always true of me, by the way, but I want it to be. Uh, the peace that when turmoil is going on, I know that God's in control and that everything's going to be okay. I need to get the same feeling from God that I used to get from my dad, you know, when I was six or eight or 15 or 20. And I'd feel like my world was falling apart. And dad could put his arm around me and say, don't worry, it's going to be okay. And you know what? I believed it was going to be okay. And, and that's what God does for us. Verse 7, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Verse 8, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, you, however, you, you believers, you have trusted in Christ. You are in Christ. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. You don't have to live like that. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and he does, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. If you are a believer, you have the spirit of Christ in you. 
And you don't have to do the wrong thing. You can choose, you have the power within you to choose to do the right thing. You're not gonna be perfect at it until you go to heaven. But you can get better at it every day. Don't quit because you don't get it right every time. Keep working at it because you have the power to improve. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. Now, for the next couple, just a few minutes, I wanna do two things. Number one, I'm gonna give you a few comments about the practical aspects of what you set your mind on. The fact that from a practical standpoint, the things we think about, the things we think our mind on, put our, set our mind on, uh, the, the things we prioritize in our mind influence whether or not we're gonna live our lives according to the leadership of the Spirit. The mind is the key. And the second thing is we're gonna look at quickly in the other verses that follow these verses in Romans chapter eight, three things to set your mind on. So let's look at this first, the influence of what we set our minds on. What you think about, what you watch, what you put into the computer of your mind determines what's coming back out of it again. We'll go back, let's read, read verse five again, Romans 8, 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. Later, Paul would write another letter to a church in a city called Colossae, which is in the Roman province of Asia, which is uh, modern day Turkey. Colossians chapter three, verse one, he says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart, set your affections on things above. Uh, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse two, he says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Verse three, for you died. You've, you're, you're alive in Christ, but dead to sin. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So then he goes on to tell them how to live for Christ. But he said, here's the key. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And then he wrote another letter to a church in the Greek city, northern Greek city of Philippi. In Philippians chapter four, verse eight, he says this, finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what? Think about. Set your mind on these things. Prioritize these things. Don't always be thinking about all the bad and the negative stuff and, and thinking about being defeated and how bad you are and all that kind of stuff. Think about such things as this, verse 9. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. In other words, you live what you think. Remember the old, don't hear it anymore, but garbage in, garbage out computer statement, right? That's exactly what we're talking about. So the principle of this is simple. To be good, set your mind on what pleases God. To be good, set your mind on good things. One more verse. Of the, along this line. Back to the book of Romans, this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome. Romans chapter 12, verse one. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. How do I do that? How do I offer my body as a living sacrifice? He doesn't want me to you know, stab myself or anything like that. He wants me to give my body totally over to him. And yet my body is this rebellious part of me. Well, he said, do it like this. 
Verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. It's the key. The key is good stuff in, good stuff out. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Becoming good, becoming holy is a matter of making up your mind. Of course, you have to have the presence of the Holy Spirit first, but for the person who's in Christ, it's a matter of making up your mind. And I'm not talking about the process of determination, like I'm going to grit my teeth and I'm going to get this right if it kills me. Well, it probably will. That's not what we're talking about. I'm referring to the process of realization, realization of who you are in Christ. Who, are, who am I in Christ? And then focusing on that, thinking on that. If you set your mind on the things the Spirit desires for you, it will turn your life inside out. So we're going to look at three things that the Spirit desires for us. And these are things we have in Christ, but we don't always take advantage of. And the first one is this. Three things the Spirit desires for us, three things that set your mind on. He wants you to experience freedom from guilt. Think about that. Set your mind on that. When, when you're going someplace else and you're just beating yourself up over something that God has already taken care of, Think about that. God wants you free to experience freedom from guilt. I'm talking about real guilt. Sometimes we deserve to feel guilty. We did something bad. And guilt is a result of that. It hurts and it should. But sometimes we feel guilty about something we have no control over. And God wants to deal with both kinds of guilt. It's impossible to freely serve God. And it's impossible to come, become more like God when we're riddled with guilt. Romans 8, verse 1, where we started today. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have ever sinned, and you have, I don't know you personally necessarily, but I know that you haven't gotten everything right all of your life. If you have ever sinned and you have, you're separated from God by your sin. That's the reason we struggle with guilt. It's because we don't get everything right. We've done things that are wrong. We knew it was wrong, and we did it anyway. We knew it might hurt somebody else, but we cared about ourselves more than we cared about them. We knew it wasn't pleasing to God, but we said to ourselves, in essence, so what? And we'll do it anyway. Through sin, we bring condemnation on ourselves. But in Christ, there is no condemnation. That's why the apostle said later, Romans 6, 23, or earlier in the book, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Sin, we do things that are wrong. Even if society tells us it's okay, we do things that are wrong. It brings guilt and shame and condemnation. And by condemnation, the word that's used by Paul, I mean accountability for our sins that ultimately leads us to hell. But God does not want you to live the rest of your life with a sense of guilt and shame and condemnation and that's why Jesus came and that's why Jesus died on the cross contrary to what a lot, some people think about Christianity our goal is not to make people feel guilty <laughs> that's not, not what we're about uh, our goal is to show people how they can be free from guilt that's what we want you may have committed sin but the good news is that God forgives sin you may deserve judgment, but the good news is that God chooses to forgive you and not judge you, not condemn you if you place your trust in him. When you come to Christ, he sets you free from the law of judgment 
and you never have to fear his judgment again. Romans 8 and 1, going back to that verse, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you want to be good, if you want to become holy, then think about the things that please the Spirit of God. Step number one, think about how God has set you free from the law of sin and death. Think about how he sent Jesus to die on the cross for you as well as for the rest of the world. Think about how he came to take away our sins so that we could be free of guilt and condemnation and be full of life. He wants you to experience freedom from guilt. Here's the second thing he wants for you. He wants you to experience power over sin. Think about that a little bit. Dwell on that for a while. Prioritize that in your mind for a while. God created us to live with power, not weakness, power. When Jesus <clears throat> was speaking to his church to start with about the Holy Spirit, he said this, Acts 1-8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The power isn't in us, it's in him and he's in us and that's why we have his power. Notice as we get back to Romans chapter eight, verse 11, here's what Paul said, Romans eight eleven. and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, God raised Jesus from the dead. If his spirit is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. In other words, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, right, is available, is in you, is available to you. Now, I realize that only is really talking about bringing your own body, you know, your life to the body. But even now, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is working in you. And God wants you to experience power over sin, but you can't do it on your own. You need his power. Moving on to verse 12, that's verse 11. Verse 12, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. Therefore, that is in light of this power that's in us, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. I like that. We have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. We have an obligation, but it's certainly not to do the wrong thing. Our obligation is to God. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now that's, all death is a result of sin, not personal or individual sin, but we live in a sinful world. And this body is going to die, but if you live according to the flesh, you die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Misdeeds of the body, I kind of like that phrase too. That's just sin. That's all, or first, all kinds of sin. You know, anger, jealousy, selfishness, pride, dishonesty, hatred, stirring up problems, sexual immorality, on and on and on. That's the misdeeds of the body. So Paul is saying that these misdeeds, these sins, need to be put to death by the Holy Spirit. How do I do that? Well, here's a suggestion. How do I put to death the misdeeds of the body? When temptation presents itself to me, I go to God. I don't have the power on my own. I go to God and I pray something like this. Father, by your power, you raised Jesus from the dead. By your power, help me overcome this sin. Take it away and take away my desire 
for this sin. Now, you, could, you don't have to say those words. And, and those are not magical incantations, blah, blah. You know, you can you say these words and boom, everything. You've got to, I don't mean that at all. What I mean is, that's the thought. You go to God. And in faith, you say, you raised Jesus from the dead. That same power is within me. Work in me to overcome this thing that is so hard for me to overcome. Now, there may be times when, when you only have to pray that prayer once. But, but not most of the time. You know, most of the time you've got to pray it over and over and over and over and over again about the same thing. Our sins, kind of like an uh, old movie, Terminator 2. Some of you remember Terminator 2. I'm talking about the, the bad guy in Terminator 2. You couldn't kill him. You could blow him up and he just came back together and kept after you, right? Do anything you want to him. Just came back and he's after you. Came back. That's kind of like what our sin is like. You know what? The thing that's after us, it just keeps reforming and coming after us again. Our sins can be so deeply rooted in our habits, in our desires, in our way of thinking that they don't die easily. They just keep reforming and coming back at us. And by the way, you may need to get some extra help with this. Prayer may not be enough. You may need to go to church and get around some godly people. You may need to become a part of a small group and have an even smaller group that's with you. You may need to have a, a, a friend to, I, I don't know about if I want to call it an accountability friend, but you know, they're not, not somebody to wag their finger, but somebody that you can go to and say, man, I'm having trouble today. I need a little help. If you've ever tried to live a holy life, if you've ever tried to be good, you've learned that whatever drags you away can be very powerful, a source to be reckoned with, a force to be reckoned with. But I have good news. The power of God's spirit at work is even more powerful than that, especially if you prioritize it and get some help. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body. He will give you power over sin. No matter how many times it comes back to haunt you, don't quit. Don't quit. God isn't giving up on you. Don't give up on yourself. Don't quit. Think about that. Set your mind on that. He wants you to experience power over sin. And one more short thing. He wants you to adopt you. He wants you to experience the benefits of adoption. Think about that. Verse 15. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Of course, we just read that, you know, I'm the slave to, I'm the slave of God and the slave to do the right thing and so forth. So the, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Um, what God calls you to is not scary. What God calls you to gives peace. What God calls you to doesn't bring fear into your life. What God calls you to do brings peace and love and joy and all those kinds of things. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship or childhood. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Adoption and you've probably heard, some of you have heard this kind of stuff before, but adoption was a serious and sacred rite in Roman culture. Uh, it involved elaborate ceremonies, kind of like, you know, getting married. 
all the little things that people, I got to do it this way, I got to do that, I got to do, you know, all that sort of thing. In Roman times, it was not uncommon for a grown man to be adopted into a new family for either business or political purposes. For instance, you've heard of this guy, Julius Caesar. He adopted his grandnephew into his family, a guy by the name of, I think it was Octavius, and then it became Octavian and had more, more words in his name. Uh, and when Julius Caesar was executed, murdered, on March the 15th, 44 BC, Octavian inherited all that was Julius Caesar before that time. And he became Caesar Augustus, you know, in the days of Caesar Augustus, a decree went out that all the world uh, had to be listed so they could be taxed. Now, adoption, when adoption took place, certain things happened. First of all, the adoption was irrevocable. You became the, you accepted it, you became the son. Secondly, the adopted son's old life was completely wiped out. All of his debts were gone. All of his rights in the former family were gone. You couldn't hang on to the old family. You were in the new family. So you, you had to get rid of that. Thirdly, the adopted, adopted son became in every sense of the word, the full and complete heir of the new father. There was no legal distinction between biological child and adopted child. Whatever the father owned belonged equally to biological children and adopted children. Anyone, and there are some of you, anyone who has adopted children today understands this concept. When that child truly becomes your child, it's your child, no strings attached. And most adoptive parents I've talk, talked to stress the fact that these children were chosen by me. You know, they weren't, uh, even though they weren't part of the biological process, I chose them. That's what Paul is saying. God chose you. He adopted you. He placed you as his child. You are in every sense God's son or God's daughter. You're not his slave. You're not his hired hand. You are his child. That last phrase, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. And that Abba is a a term of endearment and, and, and closeness. Uh, one more movie TV illustration that goes back a few years. NCIS. You know what I'm talking about? NCIS. And there was one of my favorite characters ever that got killed off. Her name was Ziva. She was a, a, a Jewish, an Israeli girl. Uh, her dad was the head of Mossad in, in, uh, in Israel, right? got me, what I'm talking about, and her dad gets killed, and he dies in her arms, and you know what she's saying, you remember, anybody remember what she's saying, she's going, she's sobbing, and she's going, Abba, 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 now it's terrible that, that a, a film should have such effect, but that illustrated to me, you know, what I had read about, about how that, that uh, this Abba means dad, Daddy, the, you know, uh, father to me is a pretty good term. <laughs> I like that one. But uh, God says, call me dad. I have chosen you and everything I have belongs to you. I care about you as much as I care about anything or anyone in the universe. Abba. Verse 17. We read 15. Verse 17 says this. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. 
heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. God wants you to experience all the benefits of being his son or his daughter. He's not your taskmaster. He's not a tyrant. He's your father. And he chose you. He, he picked you to be his child. And this is what you need to set your mind on. Think about that. Think about that for a while. Back to verse 16, in between those two verses. Last verse we'll read, Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We are not going to become his children someday. We are his children right now. Being good, becoming holy is a matter of making up your mind, not determination. I'm not talking about just gritting your teeth and being determined. I'm referring to the process of realization, who you are in Christ. I am a child of God. He loves me as much as he loves anybody in the universe. I feel so insignificant. I feel like such a failure sometimes. I feel like such an underachiever sometimes. But I am his child. He loves me as much as he loves anybody on the planet. I need to realize who I am in Christ. My sins have been forgiven. In Christ, I, I am free from guilt and condemnation. In Christ, I have the power of the Holy Spirit to give me life and victory over sin. In Christ, I've been adopted into God's family, chosen by God himself. And so have you been chosen. So think about it. Think about that. Set your mind on these things. Set your mind on who you are in Christ. Without him, nothing. With him, everything. With him, free from guilt. With him, power over sin. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. We are the children of God. Father, Abba, thank you for loving us. We are your children. And I still, I still can't wrap my mind around why you would care so much. And I don't believe it all the time, but I need to prioritize it, and I ask you to give me the grace to do that. Thank you for your goodness, in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.